word why. What a curious word. The kind of word that can make us cringe, feel defensive, or even distant. But you know, sometimes why is the key. A key that can unlock so much to our lives. Join me as we explore the why with fascinating contributors to the world. Those that entertain us, inform us, teach us about life, and if we're lucky, inspire the next in all of us. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger, and welcome to Headroom, a production of Rainlight and co-produced by Old Soul. Let's go. Well, I am incredibly excited for this conversation and not that I am not excited for most of my conversations So, no disrespect to previous guests, but you know, sometimes it's good to be a kid. Sometimes it's good to just jump in (laughs) and uh, what an opportunity. Uh, I'm going to be spending time today and you're going to be spending time with Hallie Stanford. She's the president of television at the Jim Henson Company. That's right. The Jim Henson Company, as the young kids will put like periods after each word (laughs) to emphasize the importance. But Hallie already off air. I can tell she's got great energy. I'm excited for this conversation. She's an Emmy Award winning and 10 time Emmy nominated television producer. Uh, She serves as a president of television at the Jim Henson Company, leading the development and production of all television, home entertainment and digital media and animated and live action formats, establishing the company's creative culture across all territories. Her most recent executive produced Slumberkins. Uh, she's been a part of Fraggle Rock, Back to the Rock. Boy, does that bring, <laughs> that brings back memories for me here as a guy in his mid forties. Uh, Harriet the Spy in the short form series Fraggle Rock, Rock On for Apple TV Plus. She's won countless awards. We already talked about her Emmys. Uh, primetime Emmy Award, I should say, for Outstanding Children's Program, The Dark Crystal, Age of Resistance. She's been with the Jim Henson Company since 93, and she's worked on beloved Muppet projects like Muppet Treasure Island, Muppets Tonight, and Bear in the Big Blue House. Well, Hallie, I know I sound like just a family member that's gloating about... (laughs) (laughs) I love it! (laughs) I'm like your long-lost brother going, man, I'm proud of you. Uh, (laughs) Thank you. so, So let's just jump right into this. Tell me about your relationship to creativity and how it's changed over the years. Oh, wow. I love that question. Um, well, my relationship to creativity, and I guess I'll talk about um, being at Henson, right? Like, because I could talk about it from uh, age five on. Um, well, why don't but- we start there? Why don't we start there? Paint paint the picture. How did you understand creativity and, and or the role that you might have played with a paintbrush that was presented in front of you? Yeah, you know, um, I love talking about this. Um, Well, first of all, you need to know that my father was a um, photography visual arts professor. He was an artist and he passed away when I was three years old. So the way that I got to know my father was through all of his artwork. Uh, And to this day, his black and white photos are everywhere. His paintings are everywhere in my home. I actually have one right here in front of me. And so I sort of grew up with this visual language of like identity uh, and connection just through the visual all around me all the time. I actually had the privilege of um, writing an episode of Harriet the Spy that celebrates my dad. Uh, I did this sort of reimagining, like, what was he like as a like young boy if he came across Harriet at the World's Fair and he was so <laughs> groovy with his camera? So that was fun. And that was all about exploring the artist's voice, right? That it can come from photography. Harriet herself is a writer. So they kind of have this beautiful artist connection. So that was really kind of like, I would say, like the first thing that like really inspired me as a young girl um, in terms of something, a kind of different creative language. But I was all about reading. 
I was all about losing myself in books, writing stories, um, and I love television and film. I, I, I am one of those kids that was way too focused, way too early. Although I think I imagine myself a movie star. <laughs> I think I imagine myself. <laughs> There's still a time. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I loved I Love Lucy. I still do. Um, so, you know, so when, did, I, so when did you so Holly, so when did you start to trust what you were seeing on the screen mm-hmm. and your ability to break it down or deconstruct it and have an opinion? Oh, I feel like very young. I mean, mm-hmm. I guess I would say seven uh, years old. Just, to, you know, that was a real, you know, those are all formative years for all of us in terms of storytelling. But I can remember at that age, everything from um Muppet Show to um, gosh, you know, you and I were raised also like when there was no streamers and like a streamer was like Channel Five, where like you watch <laughs> Little Rascals, you watched it right next to I Love Lucy to the Brady Bunch to Little House in the Prairie and Magnum PI, and you thought they were all being made at the same time. But um, I think I had a very steady diet of television, and I thank my mother for that. I was a Sesame Street generation. I was born in 1969. So I was raised on Jim Henson. I was raised on all of his incredible projects. He was the biggest inspiration in my life, Um, whether it was Dark Crystal, Muppets, Fraggle Rock, Labyrinth. Oh, my gosh. When Labyrinth came out, forget it. Um, And so, you know, I was raised with some pretty epic television programming. I'm also a huge Little House on the Prairie fan, but we can talk about that on another call. Um, And I also feel like because I was raised by this incredible single mom, she was really a powerful attorney, um, but she also um, allowed us to find our own creative voice. I wanted to be in theater. I wanted to be in opera. Uh, So she was like, let's do it. Let's get you involved. So I think, you know, she let us find our own creative genius, what we really loved and would encourage it. But in terms of feature, and then when in the 80s, I would say is when I really started to develop a real passion for filmmaking and Steven Spielberg, George Lucas, um, huge heroes. And when I was in college, I went to Wesleyan University. Everybody wanted to be a director, um, you know, and do their very arty films. And I said to my professor, Janine Basinger, what what does George Lucas do? What, what's that job? She said, that's a producer. And I'm like, that's what I want to be. I want to be a producer. I want to be the spark that comes up with the idea and builds the team to make it be a reality. Um, and so I guess that's my quick overview. Yeah. Like so my do you, do childhood. You, do you pinch experience. yourself? I mean, do you I, when you think about the percentage of people that can dream at an early age and then realize that the door before them is the actual door that will allow them to, I think, flourish. Um, I don't know, I don't know how many people can actually say that at their core when they lay down at night, right? I mean, they're just a select few that I think find that lane and grow and develop, right? And become even more than they could have originally thought. Do you pinch yourself? Uh, Oh, yeah, I definitely pinch myself every day. Sometimes, you know, as I sit there and I I work with Norman Reedus, my number one favorite uh, star. I love The Walking Dead. Uh, you know, I'm like, how 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 am I working on this project right now? This is extraordinary and so exciting. So yes, I do pinch myself every day, and every day that I visit the creature shop, I'm just as excited as the first time I went in. <laughs> That's my sense uh, of you. It's almost as if, like, if I didn't know and I was playing dumb, which my wife might contend I'm pretty <laughs> good at, uh, I might think you just started your position at the at the Henson Aww, Company because of but- the just that sort of raw excitement that says yeah. sort of, you know, caution to the wind, I'm where I need to be. 
Yeah. And I'm very joyful. I love children's television and family programming. I mean, I, I, you know, it raised me, as I told you, you know, when you just said that, like not many people can, you know, say that they've achieved it. But again, I will say that the stories that shaped me growing up, those characters and stars were doing just that. Right. So Kermit the Frog uh, was had a little banjo and an agent pulled up next to him and said, you know, you really should go to Hollywood and uh, go and make people happy. And I'm telling you, I've kept I kept that as my mantra. I'm like, I am Kermit the Frog on my bicycle going to Hollywood to create rainbow connections. This is what I'm doing. So I had some pretty good role models, even if they were imaginary. Um, And I think that that's what you know, I know you want to talk about children's television. I think that's what gets me so excited about it and the artists and creators and tastemakers I work with is that we can inspire that in a child. We can bring wonder and magic and kind of change their worlds forever. Um, Help them find that creative genius like my mom did for me. So it's what does, you know, motivate us. But I kind of was inspired. You know, Dorothy did get to, you know, she did get to the (laughs) Emerald City. She didn't make it out. So one thing I love about kids kids programming and that age and I, I have a eight and 10 year old. So they're sort of, they seem to be, I don't know, they think they're a little bit older than maybe that they are. Um, but I love the, when it's good content, at least I'll speak from my perspective, there's vulnerabilities, uh, that play out that you can connect with and you can be a mom or a dad or an aunt or uncle or a grandma or grandparent. You can watch it with them and still feel a connection. Because you were once that age and you understood the magic and the power of those moments. And I love that in children's programming when it's done well, that those moments are there for the taking in a really positive and exchange with the audience. Yeah, I love that you said that. And I'm excited for you to watch Fraggle Rock back to the rock and apple because that was something that we really kept in mind, right? Like that that adult experience and the fan experience. We had to sort of deliver the essence of Fraggle Rock, but also thinking about the parents as they're watching and feeling that child within them and also feeling the parent within them, right? Like, oh, I could take that idea, that tool. We could have a conversation about that. We could have a conversation about echo chambers or like, um, or bullying, right? And um, so we we kind of try to deliver it up in both ways. And yeah, it does take a little vulnerability, takes pushing and a little, sometimes a little darkness, right? A little, a little sadness, but that I think that kids want to see that triumph um, and that um, resilience of spirit. So yeah, Fraggle was the most recent show that really we, we got deep um, in those types of topics. And I think it was very successful. Do you think that we're putting too much um, on children's programming when we talk about responsibility, when we talk about what we should or shouldn't be presenting or teaching? It feels a little bit like it runs parallel to kind of what we're putting on education and saying, it, you know, well, maybe you should or you shouldn't teach these these different principles about growing up um, mm-hmm. and or that, well, you should be doing it for us. Right. And so there are a lot. And it's not about a political conversation. It's just. Yeah how that can impact the creative process in a world that is is hyper polarizing and un- trying to understand what kids know, what they understand, what they're exposed to, especially in a world where they've got screens at their disposal and they're digital natives. Uh, how has the advent of, of technology in ways that you and I could never have imagined when we were growing up with the four or five channels, to your point, yeah. um, how does that impact the creative process? And at what point do you kind of say, look, we can't be everything to everybody? 
Yeah, you can't be everything to everybody. I approach it personally and creatively from a place of what do kids need right now? What will they need three years from now? I always have to have about my fortune, you know, my little fortune teller's ball, like what crystal ball, like what is coming up? Um, and what do they need? And sometimes I have to be honest, I'll present um, shows to networks and we're probably two steps ahead of it, ahead of them and what they're thinking about. And so I remember we took out a show called Dot, which ended up being on Sprout and Hulu uh, and the CBC. And she was a digital citizen, right? She was a little preschool. It was based on Randy Zuckerberg's book. She was holding an iPad. She was like using technology as a means to like, you know, uh, celebrate her world. It was all very positive. When I took that project out, oh my goodness, I had so much network pushback. They were like, we can't have preschoolers having iPads. And I was like, but they're going to. So don't we want to, don't we want to bring them into this digital citizenship, teach them responsibility and ways to make have meaningful experiences. I'll never forget it. They were like, no, we can't do that. And I thought, well, and now, of course, if you of see course. all the shows you're on, like, all the kids have tablets and things in their, in their shows. But at that time, they didn't. And so I think that that's where we approach it from at Henson, where I approach it from of what do kids need? Where's the curriculum evolving? Yeah. Um, and uh, kind of, you know, we work with a lot of creators. Right now, my whole, my whole, um, Forward thinking has to do with, you know, creating green activists, um, you know, climate, climate, uh, planet uh, Earth adventures. <laughs> yeah, planet Earth issues, but make it feel hopeful yeah. and um, actionable uh, for kids. But in terms of like what you're saying about the networks, like kind of maybe like you can't be all things to all people. It's true. Uh, at Hanson, we will push back on hard curriculum and things that we feel like kids are smart enough to know. Kids are smart. They're so smart. They and get parents it. want their kids to thrive intellectually and academically. So perhaps the fear that we're pushing up against just usually is just a lack of knowledge of that age group or or a certain kind of brand that they want to maintain. Um, so I, I actually remember uh getting a little pushback, like, I don't think kids can, you know, take in the word, you know, inertia. And I was like, I think they can. Or I don't know if these big dinosaur names, I'm like, let's see about that. And then we did the song Dinosaurs A through Z for Dinosaur Train. And those kids can remember every single dinosaur name that uh, we throw at them. So I guess it's just like this lovely push and pull. Um, but I think that uh, Jim Henson said it best. If you're going to put television in front of a young child, like a, a preschooler, Better be great. Better have something to say. And I would also say we try to also make sure it's gorgeous. Right. I think kids deserve the same level of picture book beauty that they get in books on television for that age group, too. So that's a that's a big uh, mandate over here. And for me, Headroom is produced by Old Soul, a one stop marketing agency that understands the power of brand and nuance. Reach out to my guy, Matt, at Old Soul and supercharge your brand and content strategy. That's Old Soul. Shoot Matt a note at aoldsoul.com. That's A-O-L-D-S-O-U-L.com. And now, back to our guest. How has the relationship with creators changed for you, Hallie? When we think about now, it's... Uh, like, I have family members that are in the arts, and, yeah. these, and, and I think about sort of the classic creative... Mm -hmm. But I also think about that class of creative in 2023, <laughs> where there has to be some level of awareness that is sort of baked in potentially to the way in which we might think about character construction, 
the arc of a story, diversity and inclusion, representation. How has that changed your relationship sort of as the sports analogy, but like the coach on the field or, you know, to not only support, inform and inspire? Yeah, I would say that, um, you know, uh, always artists first, dreamers first. So, you know, the job here is always to like nurture um, uh, the talent. Um, I think one of the things that I've really seen evolve over the years and I encourage is not to niche creators into one lane. I, you know, I am a creator myself, but when I look back on my career, I I could also see like, right, I was just the producer and then right over here were the writers and right over here were the directors. And now there's a lot of encouragement to like say, okay, you're a writer and you want to direct? Great. Let's start doing that. Let's start John Tartaglia at our company. Um, he uh, was a puppeteer and show creator. We're like, let's get you in a writer's room. Let's get you writing. Let's get you directing, right? Let's build up the creators and sort of like make them feel like they're part of creating the whole process. If they want to, we're not forcing anybody to be a director. I don't want to be a director, but I certainly want to be a writer. So encouraging more of that in myself. So it's it's kind of expanded in that way. Um, and I love it because I don't think that you need to be pigeonholed into one job. Um, that could even be in post. Like, wow, I, I would love to see some writers really get to understand uh, editing and post-production. So anyway, that's what's evolved and I'm loving it. In terms of diversity, it's incredible. But, you know, I'd say at Henson, um, always have been a part always. of like, hmm. underrepresented voices, diverse voices, but we had to do better, right? We ha Even Henson had to do better. So we have. Um, you know, I, I feel very proud of helping to build, you know, the the female showrunners and female puppeteers at Henson. But we were like, hey, we got to do better. We got to build more, more diversity, more voices. Um, and so we have behind the camera and um, in front of the camera. So just, you know, that's been something as well um, that the networks, thank goodness, have caught up with and are supporting because before particularly in the 90s, early 2000s, showrunners wanted to work with who they wanted to work with. And they wanted to work with what felt safe and familiar. And I really love this stepping out of the box thinking and reaching out and mentoring and taking chances. And, you know, sometimes it doesn't work. Um, but most of the times it does. And uh, that's been fabulous. I'd say in the last uh, 10 years. Take me, let, let's pivot. Um, I okay. spoke I spoke with the creators uh, and the founders of uh, Slumberkins. Yay! Uh, Ailey and, and Kelly. And they shared a story that I just thought was so representative of, I don't know, the entrepreneurial spirit. The, let's take a chance. Let, let, you know, we've got to get a shot at this. And it's always, you know, look, it's, it's the old adage, it takes two to tango, right? In this case, three. Uh, take me back to the dinner that you that you had because, and maybe not even just the dinner, but the conversations you, you had, like on the exhibit hall floor with them, yeah. where for them, this explosion of excitement when, when you in your position basically offered to have dinner with them and learn more about sort of what they were up to. Uh, because I think that, that those kinds of moments, we run over them. But those are the kinds of moments I think that inspire that young child that is watching a Fraggle Rock that says, I want to be a creator. And they start to say, you know what? There are multiple paths to this, to your point. You know, you can be a writer. You can be a puppeteer. You can do all these different things. And you can all be a part of the same community. So kind of tell right. me about those initial 
moments with those two and what it was about them that you just said, I got to take a flyer on this. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, uh, Kelly and Kaylee's energy and creativity is uh, infectious. So meeting them initially was a no brainer of instant, instant creative crush, right? Instant pals. I love that. So that happened. Uh, you know, the sparks happened right when we met at this dinner. But, you know, before that, I had, you know, I talked to you about that crystal ball. I had really been looking for a franchise or an idea or property that would really help um, kind of tackle this problem that I saw that anxiety levels were rising um, with children younger uh, than I'd ever seen. And it was alarming to me. This was pre-pandemic. And having been an anxious child myself, I loved Grover because Grover had a little bit of anxiety. He was my, (laughs) he was my, my hero. Um, just looking for that idea or property to inspire. I knew that we'd have, nobody was asking for it. There was no network saying, hey, you know what would be great? Could you do a show on anxiety and grief and really hard topics? No, nobody was saying that. <laughs> but, oh my gosh, then I met Kelly and Kaylee and they shared with me, um, and this was a wonderful convention too, right? This alt summit, it was all these female entrepreneurs. And I particularly loved it because there was a lot of, really superstar moms. I love the mom community. I'm always there for them. Mom 2.0. Woo. Like I love them. (laughs) So um, they were actually introduced to me by some other moms uh, who I'd met there who said, Hey, you should go meet Hallie. So it was very, you know, very lovely. And when they showed me slumberkins, I couldn't believe it that they were actually tackling those topics and those difficult issues in a way I'd never seen. It had to do with like the child themselves, you know, figuring out how to overcome uh, uh, these challenges coming their way and, and find wholeness. Not not that they didn't have input from parents and teachers and kids, but it was all about here. And I thought that was beautiful. Um, but uh, I just love the design style. I love their approach. I love their meaningful community that they had created and an engaged community, which I thought was gorgeous. And most importantly, I felt that the property itself lended itself to puppetry. So here they had these therapy toys they're beautifully designed. They, they were not puppet friendly yet, believe me, but <laughs> I knew they could be. And I also know that the best medium to create engagement and intimacy um, is the medium of puppetry. So it just was like this perfect property. And um, they trusted me. I was excited about them. And we took little baby steps, but I brought on the A-team and I kept saying to them, what's your favorite show on TV? And they were like, we love Word Party, which we made. I'm like, let's get the showrunner, Alex Rockwell. What's your favorite soundscape? Ingrid Michelson. Let's go get her. I, I can't <laughs> believe we got her, by the way. Um, but the you know the show has magic, Slumberkin. So I feel like it brings in uh, magical people. But that's what we did. We built the A-team. And then we developed this property. We also wanted to push the medium of, um, that Henson's always trying to push innovation visually. So we we were like, wow, what if we took this beautiful um, the kind of background that they've, they've alluded to in their books and really blow it out into a 2D world? So we did some tests. We did tests on the puppets themselves to enhance eye um, animation. You'll see little tears coming down um, from the characters. And just we just played with it before we took it out to the networks. And not every network, you know, responded, right? That's what happens. But Apple. um, So take me inside that meeting with Apple. What was it about that pitch? What do you think it was that caught their attention? Oh, I think that Tara Sorensen's a visionary. 
I think she saw the beauty um, in this project, uh, what it could do for kids. I, you know, Apple TV plus, but Tara Sorensen herself is, you know, is a real formidable tastemaker. And um, I think she saw that this could have a real deep impact uh, in the lives of children and families. Um, and it was a, a subject that it was clear needed handling. We, we presented research, yeah. right? We presented the research, we presented the facts, the data, and uh, I think she was blown away. And I think she just loved Kelly and Kaylee, loved Alex Rockwell, loved Henson. It was just like this beautiful project. Um, but I, and I think that also that it came uh, from books and therapy toys too. I think she liked the book element of it. Um, so that it helped to kind of feel like it was a pre-established IP, even though it was just um, these very short picture books that we had made into this big world. But I think she liked that a lot, too. Um, and there's nothing like, you know, having these entrepreneurial moms who had backgrounds in teaching. Yeah, the story is great. Family therapy, who just put all their hearts and souls into it. So, you know, it, that so many reasons I couldn't say. You'll have to ask her, but I think <laughs> those things. So tell me, you've been referencing tastemakers. Yeah. So so clarify for the audience what you mean, because you say it with fantastic conviction and it feels like it's something that is really near and dear to you is to surround yourself with tastemakers. Well, I, I think that the tastemakers at the networks, I'm not, I, I don't know if every network has one, but I certainly feel privileged in the children's television world that there are quite a few. Um, or if they've moved on, Linda Siminski at PBS was one of them, who really have this incredible eye for talent, for projects, and a vision for them. So right now, it's very competitive uh, in the in the market. It's very competitive. You know, I'm competing against animation companies that can come in with a whole pilot already made, you know. And so if you come in with an impression of a show, and an executive can look at it and say, oh, I can see that. I don't need everything in front of me. I don't need 10 scripts. I don't need a pilot. I don't need all of this. I can see that. Then I feel like I put them in my tastemaker um, uh, category. Just They're just a little bit more. They can just, they have a vision. Um, they're not trying to check off data points. They're not, tr they're not going down a checklist. Um, they're really, and they know what their brand is. It's not that they don't. It's just that they can see the possibilities. So I think that's what I mean. But otherwise, I'm re I'm referencing people at the networks uh, or at the studios that can finance and help us make our shows. Let's close with this. What do you think the moral of your story and your relationship with success is? If if you're giving, if you're if you're not standing up, you're sitting down with a bunch of girls that maybe are my daughter's age that are yeah. eight. What's the moral of the story of this? really enthusiastic female entrepreneur that is a professional dreamer and mm -hmm. we are all the better for it uh, as audience members. I would say to break it down, follow your bliss, trust your creative voice. It will make your dreams come true. That's what I would say to very young little girls, because I think sometimes you're told that there's a certain path to success but I think a successful life creatively is following your bliss. And if you're at a place where it's not quite your vision, you're not in charge, right? And you're helping somebody else's dreams come true. That's meaningful too. But you can always, when you go home, work on your projects, work on your creativity and put, you know, make a difference in the world that way as well. That is a beautiful thing. That's what I would say to children. 
I wish people could see your face just as you were saying that, because you can just <laughs> tell that it means something to you. This is not yeah. this is not a part of some marketing slick or just sort of a you know mm-hmm. uh, political speak at all. This really means something to you. This is a three year old that that sadly lost her father, but is with him. It seems like on a moment by moment basis in such a beautifully creative way. Uh, what a pleasure to spend some time with you, Hallie Stanford. We want to thank Hallie. She's the president of television at the Jim Henson Com- Company. And if you've learned anything, dream big. Um, the world is your oyster and uh, go check out the Jim Henson company, all the wonderful things that they're doing uh, to include slumberkins. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger. Thanks for taking the plunge into Headroom, where we uncover the why behind the what and who impacting our lives. Headroom is a production of Rainlight and co-produced by our friends at Old Soul. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger, and this is Headroom. Headroom.